And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. I am very excited to be joined by Arizona Coyotes GM Bill Armstrong right in the middle, in the thick of things. So we're going to jump in so he can get back to work. Bill, thank you for doing this. I know it's crazy right now. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a busy time for sure. But uh, thanks for having me on the podcast, and uh, uh, looking forward to chat with you and updating you on how things are going in the desert. All right, well, let's start right now, very much in the moment, because it's funny there. You know, there was a lot of speculation surrounding the Coyotes even before you took the job, and I, I don't know if it was um, your fellow GMs, you know, circling and saying, "Hey, we've got some opportunity here." Or, or what yeah. it was, and I think a lot of people expected, um, you know, massive changes and salaries got to go and all this stuff. But it's been—I feel like you've been patient. What's been the approach, or what's been this week like for you? Well, I, it's yeah, it's it's it is a patient approach because you never want to throw the the baby out with the bathwater, <laughs> right? Um, right. I think I think whenever you take over, there's a there's a little bit there's a little good and a little bad for, uh, of what the previous people have done so you got to make sure that you go through um, very carefully and slowly and patiently and, and make sure that you make the right moves and, and don't get too excited so uh, once we got in here um, we got our staff you know uh, together we, we made some decisions and, and, and went over some stuff and planned some stuff for the future um, and and what we just what our main thing was just to be calm uh, and and Put together the best team that we think we can possibly for next year, and uh, and that's what we've done. We um, went at when we went out and added some some fourth line guys, third line guys, and free agency, and um, it was it's been a very positive effect. And we're starting to to see how you know we're we're starting to come along in the shape of identity, um, how we want to play uh, with some yeah. of the guys that we've added. So, uh, so let me ask you this because it's funny. I, you know, after you know, we've we want to make quick judgments on how everyone's off season is going, and so I made a bunch of phone calls and was trying to get people's assessment. And was I asked, uh, you know, one of your fellow execs about Arizona, and he's like, I, from his perspective, he's like, I, I don't know, you know, where they're headed. Right? Is it is it is it? Hey, let's build off of getting you know the play the postseason success, or is it you know we have a new GM and we want to. St- Strip it down and, and put in our new identity. So I would be. So I'm going to ask the man, you know, who's orchestrating. It. <laughs> Is it to build off? Or yeah, you know, what's your approach? That's a good question. Um, there's some. There's some. There's some tricky issues that we have because of the. I don't know if you want to say the, the NHL. Uh, you know, was basically investigated the Arizona Coyotes and and found out there was a form of, uh, I guess, cheating or whatever they felt on their side, and there's picks taken away. Um, so 
because of that, there's an interesting situation that you go into next year's draft. You just got through a draft where you only picked from the fourth round back, which I wasn't able to be a part of. Um, and now you go into the next draft and you don't have a first rounder um, because of the fine or whatever the penalty laid by the NHL. Um, so there's some interesting circumstances. And then you have some guys in your team that are going to become free agents. Uh, at the end of this year that are good players for us and that are impact players. So there's a lot of more, there's a lot of things in the air. Yeah. Um, what, what we've tried to do is is look at it in perspective. How can we be the best on opening night? And, 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 and you know, we explored a lot of different opportunities uh, with the assets that we have from all the players. Can we move this person? Can we do this? What can we do to be better? Um, you know, and that's going to continue go- going through the course of the year. But um, we, we didn't panic with anything and we just went through and, and, and put together the best team that we could possible. But there are st- some questions to be answered in the future and, and that's going to, they're going to, we're going to move slowly on that and we've got some time. When you, so when you say move slowly, is it move slowly this off season or is it move slowly over the course of the next year, right? The course of the know? year. Yeah, yeah. The course of the year and trying to, to, you know, better the franchise and better your team as you move forward. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, there's always trades that happen during the course of the year and, and, uh, that can help your team. So you're always going to explore them. But like, as, as it's built now, you expect your roster to look pretty similar to an opening night to what yeah. I'm looking at in cap friendly right now. Yeah, absolutely. And what you see right now will, will pretty much be, um, how we open up on opening night. Um, okay, I, and so uh, right off the hop, you get faced with the Oliver Ekman Larson situation. That's a challenging. Like, I mean, it's it's rough, right? Like that was yeah. that was percolating before you know we knew who was going to be the GM of the Coyotes. Now that it's it's settled, and you, you know he's he's coming back. Can, what was your process? What was your approach there? Well, the, you know, it was it was hard on the player. It was hard on the, uh, yeah. you know, myself because I was walking into that, and it's something that just got thrown at me as I walked through the door. <laughs> right. So I, I reached out to Oliver with a nice conversation. I just said, "Hey, let's see what plays out in the next two weeks. Let's uh, touch base um, after it's over." And that's where we're kind of moving now. We're we're in the process. I just put a call into him yesterday just to see how he's doing in that. So you know, we're moving forward from 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 this point. Um, and you know, he's our captain. He plays 23 minutes a night. He's a huge part of the Coyotes. Um, yeah. so, you know, we're expecting for him to start the season and be our leader. So Oliver was, was receptive to these conversations. Like you, you feel like it's, it's going to be a positive situation moving forward. Yeah. I mean, he's a really, number one, he's a really good person. He's somebody he that has, uh, had good impact, um, with our organization. And, you know, he had some other choices to go out in free agency and he, he chose to sign with the Coyotes, and um, he's he's somebody that we depend on every single night. So now it's just good to go back and uh, get you know have a conversation with him and see how he's preparing for the uh, for the se- upcoming season. Um, so I, I found it fascinating. So you're a guy who has built his reputation on the draft, and yep. um, and you have to sit through you you, you get you get this break. <laughs> guys wait a long time to get their G- first GM job, and you've yeah. got to sit. And sit that out. Where, first of all, where did you watch it? And and um, are we really to believe you had no input? Come on, you can be honest now that it's over. Well, here's here's the thing. What I didn't in a lot of avenues. What I was able to do is to put together structure. Okay. So what I was able to do was was hire people to come in and run the draft, and I was very comfortable with Ryan Jankowski 
yeah. who had worked for Buffalo and the Islanders and and uh, and 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 brought him on board. So he kind of came in on the first day of the meetings and put everything together. So from from that point on, you know, it was great for me. Um, I was allowed to say, hey, listen, this is the way that you're going to build the list, but have nothing to do with the list and put the right people in place so it, it was great i mean i had i had good comfort in knowing that he had he had been in the field all all year long and he knew all the players so it was on him um and, and same thing so were you just watching it at home or like what was um I, I was in a different part of the arena i was in the coach's room way, way in the back barry just watching it and it was painful because it moved so slowly <laughs> it was painful for everyone yes <laughs> yeah and we didn't pick you know t- till the fourth so it was like oh you gosh. know it's just a painful process, you know. Like you said, there you are, you know, having your big day of impact, and you're, you know, you got nothing to do with it. You're, you're off in some other office. So, yeah, um, yeah, that that was. But, but you know, I, I think also too, it was pretty good in the sense that maybe as an organization, we weren't set up to pick with all the changes and everything going on. Right. So, um, next year will be a different animal. Uh, we'll be prepared, and we've got our staff in place. My guess is you'll have a first round pick next year. That's my. Pr- I'm going to go on the record now and say. I like that prediction. I like, like how that? you're talking. Yeah, I like yeah. that. You could be. You could be right. I'm going to say you're not going to go your first two drafts without getting back into the first round. <laughs> it's nice when you're picking in the first round. You know, after the draft, you feel better about yourself. Yeah. You know. Well, well, it was interesting because I didn't realize this until I went back and was reading some comments you made going into you know after the hire and everything. When you were running the Blues drafts, you never picked higher than twentieth, eh? Yeah, yeah, and, and we went through different phases because when I worked with Yarmo uh, Kekalainen, um, and I was kind of brought in with, and he hired me. You know, yeah. we were in a different era. You know, we were, we were having these, these, um, you know, these drafts where we go into the first round and you know you get three drafts, you get, you get three picks. <laughs> it's a <Right>. fun day. <laughs> right. You walk yeah. without with Eller, Cole, and Perron. It's a pretty good day. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. You don't pick to the fourth round. It's, it's, you know, you don't feel as good about yourself. But um, and then and then when I kind of took over, we were going through a different era. We were we were good, so we we kind of had to to, to kind of find players in different areas of the, of the of the draft. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've always been very successful. The Blues kind of picking twenty back. Um, yeah. We found Oshie and you know Perron in those areas and Robert Thomas I mean that's been kind of mm-hmm. our our home picking back but then you know I think Doug uh, as soon as I started was like listen we got to hit on some other ones you know and yeah. I, I felt like we did a good job and you know even find Joel Edmondson or Dunn in the second yeah Bennington in in the third with Pareko I mean we we had some big hits so that's a credit to my staff too so when a GM sa- says that, like every GM feels that way, yeah. did you change an approach? Or like, what do you do when a guy says, hey, we got to get better outside the first round? Because it's not like it, people weren't trying previously to, to pick Yeah, one. no, no, it's, 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 I like it. I, I think when, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'll plan on using that strategy a little bit with, with our amateur staff. I think when you give them goals and mandates and say, listen, everybody's supposed to hit in the first round. Like, right. you know, everybody's supposed to hit. Um, but it's what, what can you, you know, you're really good as a staff when you're hitting and you're finding the Pareko's, um, you know, in the third round or the Bennington's in the third round that, that shows you can draft. So I kind of like that challenge, you know, but, uh, yeah, Doug was really good about that stuff too. And, and we had implemented some other stuff and we got Samuel Blaze in, in the sixth round. So I, I thought the staff, you know, myself responded to that challenge, you know? Um, I, the the Colton Pareko story, maybe Coyotes fans have, haven't heard it, but I love that like how <laughs> how clandestine that was to 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 select him. 
Yeah, he he was he's 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 great. Like he's uh, he's a he's an interesting uh, hockey player because of uh, his brain and the way that he thinks about improvement. And every time that you meet him, he's he's getting better. And you know, every time we saw him, he put on about ten pounds. Yeah, you know, and he just got better. And he was in Alaska, you know, of all right. places to play college <laughs> hockey. He'd go on the road, and when they went on the road, they went for like full two weeks. Which is yeah. hard, right? So you're going into Michigan, you know, one weekend, and then you go to Michigan State the next weekend, but you're staying over there for almost two weeks. And he, he that's a hard schedule on a college kid, and he just got better and better. But how we kind of found him is we got somebody um, on the inside, actually, was good friends with Doug Armstrong and said, you know, I don't know much about scouting, but the, you've got to see this kid. <laughs> you know, and he was over. It was actually a, uh, somebody that was traveling with his team over in Russia. He was on this. Yeah. Tier two team, and, and and so we sent our guys in. And Marshall Davidson did an amazing job, and mm. he went in there. And we only went to places that nobody could see us at. So it wasn't like when he played in Calgary or play. <laughs> right. We were going, you know, Fort Murray. We were going to all these different places that were way up there, and uh, and 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 you know, our guys were just like this guy, and they kept pushing. I can remember Marshall Davidson in the meetings. He was. He was like, you got to take him in, you know, yeah. in the first round. I'm like, we're not taking him in the first round. He's like, he's that good. I went to see him, and I was like, he was a good player. Um, uh, but, you know, he looked a, a little bit different than he does today, but there was something right. there, and then we figured out uh, that we went into the game, and, you know, nobody was really tracking him as much. I think everybody in the NHL felt like they could get him later on. Um, and yeah. We figured out, hey, listen, if we pick him in the third, we can get him. So that's what we did. Um and from the moment he's come into our organization, he's been a game changer. He really has. Like that's, you know, getting like every rebuild or every championship team has those, those, those success stories. Like you can't, you can't succeed without him. You can't rely only on that first round pick. You need yeah, to no, Dracos. you do. And, and, and that's the thing is, you know, when we went to this draft, like I said, I could prepare structure for our staff, but I said like, we have to get one player. There's no excuses from the fourth round back. It's hard. Uh, but we need to get one one player uh, in this draft. So, um, and I think it's good to have a mandate with your scouting staff and say, listen, this is what we expect, you know, from 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 your uh, from the staff. But I think also what happens at times too is sometimes you might strike out in the first round, but you might land, you know, somebody in the second or third, right. and you still end up walking out of that draft um, because it is the draft is an interesting uh, animal. It's uh, you know, you've got to be tuned in and your guys have to be on the road. And nowadays you have to be on analytics. You have to be on video and you've got to be tuned into where you can get players and, and you'll have to be tuned into, you know, what are your identity that you're trying to draft uh, for your team. So there's, um, there's a famous guy that I used to scale with in Quebec, Simone Nolet. And he used to say to me, uh, he used to work for Philly back in the day. And he used to say, uh, Bill, if you draft small player, hundred percent of the time you end up with small team, and <laughs> I, I always remember that that was his that was his thing, you know. Um, and and he's right. If you if you draft a certain right. way, that's kind of what you end up with. So you, uh, you know, my job is to have influence over the staff and implant them with, hey, listen, this is our vision. This is what we're looking for, and the players we want coming through the door. What would you say your your philosophy in drafting is then so like I, like you can tell some teams it's pretty clear like they're you know uh, Toronto doesn't mind drafting small and they'll fill out the roster mm -hmm. later with the kind of the the other pieces. Yeah. What would you say your your philosophy is besides? And, and you're not allowed to say take best player available. We're gonna okay. that answer from the equation. 
Yeah, I, I think you have to draft around the position. So if you're if you're going to draft a, a guy that's, you know, plays a certain part of your team, you have to have a thought process of what you're drafting. Like, do you want him skilled in that position? Do you want him big? Is he got, you know, like th- there's a lot of things that I think that are in depth that you have to make sure that you you can't just draft a guy in the position and, and not talk about his skill, his skating, his character, his speed. Like you have to draft around the position. That That's an important thing uh, for me. And, and there's there's simple guidelines that you can implant with your scouts. Um, but, you know, at some point in the draft, we also give freedom to our scouts. We're not going to say, hey, listen, you always have to do it our way because there will be the small guy. There will be the Martin St. Louis. There will be the the Mark Stone that can't skate that well in junior. And you don't want to limit your scouts from drafting those players. Um, and that's, that's what I think is important is that you have to guide. You have to, you know, give them the vision. Um, and tell them, hey, these are the things. But there's a point in the draft too when it's it's their choice. Yeah, they just I, have to it, be right. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> they better be yeah. right. Better um, be right. I, I found it interesting because you, you mentioned Yarmo and in, in in learning under him, or, or I don't. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming you learned under him, but you were yeah. with him. Yes, I did. Um, and 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 then you mentioned Pareko and the scout saying, hey, we got to get him now. Like Yarmo, very. Famously, like I, you know, he he's not afraid to be bold, right? They have their list, mm-hmm. they go mm-hmm. off of it. Uh, d- did it again this year in the first round. Took a guy that people were were yeah. like, googling on TV to figure out who it was. Um, you know, in terms of your philosophy there, like if you are sold that Cur- Colton Pareko is a first round, you know, and maybe you're not, but like how do you yeah. how do you yeah. balance value when you're drafting them versus you know grabbing them in the right slot? It's a huge question uh, because you don't want to miss that player, and you, but then again, you don't want to step up too early when you can knock off guys, and and that's an experience that that's learned over time. Um, there, there's a couple of things about experienced scouts. You know, number one, it takes uh, time on your eyes. It's almost a ten year process to be a really good scout. Mm. It takes you two years just to be able to walk into the rink and watch a game and say whether you like the player or not. That guy's going to go in this round. Like it, that's just two years of going through the draft. So when you go in your third year of scouting, you can kind of project that. Ten years in, you can start to rearrange the list in your mind, and then you get good at little things like you know who's at the game, or you know just you can piece it together. Or hey, this team likes to draft this guy, these type of players. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So all that plays into factor, and and, and that's the, the greatest thing about when when you're dialed into scouting is it's a very chess chess like mentality in your brain uh and it's always challenging it never gets old every single year there's you're picking in a different range for the most part and you're trying to figure out a different player and if if you like a job that's challenging uh that's a very challenging job and there's also there's a lot of um negativity in the sense that you're only right two out of the seven times if <laughs> That's you're right. really good if you're really good at what you do think about that That's right. you know as a staff so oh i couldn't deal with that failure i don't think you know what i mean like yeah. that's hard yeah, um, and you got to come, and you got to come back in the door. Like one of the, one of the, I don't know if I could tell this story properly, but we, we, we took this guy in Sweden, and we went to see him a couple of years later. And I was with this scout, who's one of the best in the field. I won't mention his name, but he worked for us. And you know, we'd pick this guy in the second round, and he, and he was, and he was a bust. Yeah. And in in this guy had put his name down and he had stamped it, and we watched the player play, and he just looked at me and he goes, "Yeah, like where do you want to go for lunch?" Like. 
Like, he didn't talk about him because he knew he was done. He's just like, where do you want to go for lunch? Yeah, I don't think he's going to play. And then we walked out of the rink, you know. And and but, but, but his mentality was like, yeah, it was a mistake. Learned, moved on, next. And it didn't bother him. Where some people become paralyzed in the field. And even though they've had... You know, they, they didn't draft well. Then they become paralyzed the next time. And, you know, so this guy didn't bother him. He was like, and he's oh, a great scout. That. He just kept, he kept swinging. So there, it's like it's like a home run hitter. There's a lot of strikeouts. How as a manager now do you make sure your scouts have, have that mentality and not like I just want to keep my job mentality that sometimes you yeah. should see that is important. That is, there, there is a balance there. The good scouts, the ones that are dialed in, to making you a Stanley Cup winner, mm-hmm. want to swing. They don't want the fourth liners. <laughs> like nothing wrong with that. They they don't. At some point, they they want to swing. And they want to they want to get the difference maker, um, and they're willing to fight for it In, inside that room with your scouts. The good ones. They you know confidence for me comes from a source, and their source is that they know the player so well from studying them video wise, seeing them live, studying them analytically. They're, they're concrete. They know his character inside and out. They stand up and they're not going to back down. The bad scout doesn't back down, but that's just out of ego. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And you got to be able to identify that, right? Like this guy just doesn't Absolutely. want, you know, he, he's just, we're in a room and he's trying to win an argument versus correct. does he really correct. believe it? Um, yeah. Gosh, the so I, there's so much in here. There's so much interesting things in here. I want to go back to, you said the two, two years versus 10 years when you're scouting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you hit that two-year mark, like what looks differently on the ice? You know, when you've when you've got two years under your belt. Yeah, the players all change. So a lot of okay. times you get a guy from a, a coaching background. He'll come in and watch games. He's watching structure. He's watching, you know, all the little things. And all of a sudden, you know, every year your eyes kind of change as a scout. And you know, there's some things. That you pick up where you, you, all of a sudden you go and, and sometimes your failures where you you draft a guy that doesn't work out. There's a reason that they don't. And you kind of take a little bit of that, like whether it's pace in the game for me, you know, on this particular player, we didn't see that. And all of a sudden, boom, next next year you're dialed in. I said, like, that guy will never play. He can't keep up with pace. Um, and you put more of a priority on it because you've learned from it. So you're constantly learning in the field or, or there's a skating glitch or there's there's a character flaw or something. There's always something to be learned and you're always getting better. So your eyes every year change uh, along with your mind. Um, Mm. And, you know, sometimes you can just meet players and you shake their hand and you can look. I know it sounds weird, but (laughs) you look at their neck, (laughs) you know, their wrist size, how they shake your hand, you know, and the top 10 guys in the draft all are the same. Like they all have confidence, and of course you're right. gonna have confidence, right? Like everything's gone well. You're a stud. You're six foot two. You can score. You know you've got all this confidence. You're walking in, but some of the other guys they they don't have that. You know that they're gonna be just as good, but they don't have that. So that's the tough part. But but you're judging them about you know how they think and are they an improver? Do they have the will to come into work every day? Have they faced you know some form? you know, of, of, of grit in their life where it hasn't yeah. gone right for them, you know, adversity, you know, something. And, and you're looking for that with them. And there's a lot of great things that, uh, that kind of you roll through your mind when you're meeting those guys. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's your eyes, your eyes and your mind do change and it constantly changes as you evolve as a scout. Yeah. And, and so what I find interesting when someone like yourself gets put in this position, like I remember again, to go back to Yarmo maybe a year into his tenure at Columbus, you know, I was asking, Hey, are you going to be at wherever? It was some sort of scouting question. He's like, no, like I'm the GM now. I'm, you know, I've hired people to do this. And I was like, Oh yeah, of course you won't be there. Like you now you have all this experience. You're 
you know, you've you're extremely valuable, right? As a in having that, it, it, but we also all always hear about the GMs that drop in for one viewing and form an opinion, Ooh, and it's a disaster, yeah. right? So, how much do you will you be involved, or, or now are you like, no, I'm a manager, like it's not this is not my job anymore. Yeah, it's not my job anymore. I, my job is one of the things that you know I was hired for is to to put a you know an organ an organization. The way that I look at it is this: you got if to win the Stanley Cup, you got to build two organizations, one off the ice and one on. Mm-hmm. So my main goal, you know, what I've, what they've hired me to do is to put the best scouting structure along with the best you know scouts in place and let them do their job. Um, and, and that's the way that I look at it. I think one of the things that I've, I've had an advantage is that I know all the good ones and I know right. the right structure. Um, that's that's my strength. So that has been snapped together and, and we're, we're moving forward with that. And, you know, also on the pro side, too, I think that's another, you know, because I've been in that field. So it's easy for me to align the structure of the team. And I and my thought process is this is that you if you can just get the right hockey person you know and you keep putting good hockey people on the next thing you know they start drafting good hockey players or acquiring good hockey players and you're just trying to stack them one on top of the next next thing you know you have a good team so that thought process has been with me is build the right structure off the ice get the right people on board and get the right vision implanted in their heads um and so you came in right away and and made some changes right i mean you know lindsey hofford is out some scouts are 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 moved on how i actually think arizona's drafted well like i look at the pool of young players you know i look i'm like hey i I like some of these players how much like what went into your decision making into okay i gotta put structure in and i also have to make decisions on who to keep almost immediately yeah um i I think as a gm and and no disrespect to some of the people that you know that have come and gone through the organization um but you have to you have to be very comfortable you know with who's working underneath you and you know as a gm you know there's uncomfortable decisions that you have to make when you come through the door and you have a plan and and uh you know and you have to go through that process of, of doing that and um you you have to make tough decisions. Uh, unfortunately, I had to make uh, some tough decisions coming through the door, and, and I'm okay with that because I wanted to make sure that I had implemented my vision with my people and and, and move forward um, with that. So, um, yeah, there are some tough decisions that you have to make. Okay, I want to take a quick break, and then I I do want to get into um, the, the structure and the plan, and especially like from what I understand, your plan was pretty thorough going into this job. So let me just take a quick break here. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. My understanding, and I don't want to tell the story incorrectly, but you know, this job yeah. opens up, and and, <laughs> and I've read you like you spent two weeks like mm-hmm, caved mm-hmm. up in a hole coming up with a five year plan. Yes. What, what, can you can you put us in that room and what what that looks like? That sounds amazing. I want to do that right now. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, you it was my first uh, process of going through an interview, and I went through the interview process with with Florida and kind of you know, built my game plan for their team. And, and, and I did it kind of when I was in the bubble. Um, so I kind of built this 
foundation of what I wanted to say and, and put it together and present it to them. Um, and then, you know, they called back a, a couple of weeks later and said, listen, we're, we're going to hire, you know, um, you know, Billy Zito. And so, yeah. um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a competitor, <laughs> so I wasn't, I, I wanted to go back and, uh, uh, kind of whether I got another opportunity for an interview or not, uh, I wanted to go back and make sure that with the, the opportunity came up again, um, I was better prepared. Um, okay. So I, I, when I got out of the bubble, I, I said hi to my wife, long time no see. Um, we went out for dinner and, and, and then basically I locked myself in the office and I went back to what I had presented in Florida and retooled it. And, and a lot of my thoughts on hiring coaches um, managing coaches, um, getting into, you know, what I thought of the pro coverage, you know, and, and how to make it better, um, you know, how to find players in the American League, you know, how to acquire assets if you don't have picks or how to be better at scouting, you know, and, you know, how to get the competitive advantage when you're, when you're amateur scouting. And I can't reveal some of that stuff, but uh, I wanted to get all my thoughts down on paper. So yeah, it was one thing to get it all down on paper, uh, to get it in an order that somebody could read it and understand it, so that that yeah. was my my other process. And halfway through, um, you know, Arizona called, and they said, "Hey, we'd, we'd like to interview you." So then I started tailoring it to them and started studying their team. So um, that that was the the process that I went through, um, and then I started the process of meeting them, you know, on the Zoom calls. And then they said, "Hey, listen, we'd, we'd like you to come in in person um, and, and fly down to to Vegas and, and meet our owner." Yeah. So I, I packed up a suit and uh, you know a pair of shorts and <laughs> and, and, head, and headed down to Vegas and um, you know I, I met with them um, and then you know they offered me the job so I never end up went, I never went home. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I, I, I never went home. So um, you know that that was kind of how, how that kind of happened and um, when I came through the door, because I had studied them, um, I had a, a fairly good idea of, of what I wanted to get accomplished uh, right out of the gate. So that really kind of helped me. So when I walked through the door, I was, I was pretty thorough in uh, understanding where, um, where, I would, where we were moving to. Was there a particular part of, of your, your vision that you could tell really connected with them? Like they were like, oh, that's good. Well, I think one of the things that I'm pretty good at is, is communicating with people. Um, and, and I think my reputation um, is, is good. I've, I've had an NHL contract basically since I've been 19 years old. Uh, and I've done, uh, you know, pretty much almost every job in, in, the, in the industry. So for, from playing to assistant coaching to coaching, you know, to being a part-time scout, you know, to being a full-time scout, to crossover scout, <laughs> to to running the scouting department, assistant GM. So, you know, I've, I've had all these different, you know, things I've done. Um, and I can pretty much sit almost in any room and have a conversation with somebody because I've kind of done that job. Right. Um, so I think that's one thing they liked. I think they liked the fact that I could communicate with them because, you know, our ownership group, are really good at, at business. That's what they're good at. They own 45 different companies um, from banks to casinos to, to media outlets. Um, and they wanted somebody that could translate hockey to them and yeah. be able to speak their language um, or, you know, and, and get them to speak, you know, the language where they could understand hockey, but at the same time, understand that they're business people. They want to run this like a business. Um, so that, I think that was um, one of the things that, that, uh, um, that they liked about me um, yeah. is that I could I could translate that to them. 
as you're going through this, I mean, stuff about the this ownership group was starting to surface, uh, like questions about kind of financial issues with them. Yeah. How, like, wh- what did you think of that? And like, how much of that line of questioning came up when you're talking to them? Well, it, it, it did. I mean, um, you, you wanted to understand, you know, number one, their vision. Where, where do they want to go with this, this organization? And, and where are they moving to? And, and the second question is, you know, um, what about all this noise you hear around the Coyotes? And right. what I found was really interesting was about the owner, Alex Morello, is, is he owned a bank and two casinos, an NHL franchise, and 10 media outlets. They don't hand that out <laughs> to get a casino gaming license. I mean, right. they're very thorough. I mean, they just don't hand that stuff out. And to own a bank, <laughs> you know, right. you can't just be some cowboy in the desert just doing your own thing on, on your own terms. You know, they're, they're, they're respected business people. Um, you know, so I think that was one of the things that, that I learned about them and I liked. And, and I think the other thing was, were simple things that I'd, I'd kind of learned from my dad working with him as a young kid is, the way that he he looked after his employees and he greeted his employees, you know, uh, from being in the casino to the driver, you know, bringing his wife to 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 dinner, uh, it was a family affair. So I was really impressed with that. And, and a lot of the people that surrounded him had had worked with him for 30, 15, 10 years. Um, so so to me that those are impressive things. Um, and I, I felt that he was vested. And, and, and the more I dug, the, the more I realized I, I don't think there's many owners in the Coyotes' history that have spent the cap like he has. He, yeah. he invested in them being good. Um, so I think there is some noise that surrounds it. But for me, I, I was very comfortable with him and where the vision of, of what he had for the organization. You've you've mentioned this, but you said you know you had people around hockey texting you saying, "Hey, be, be careful!" Like, how did you balance that with, "Hey, I have an opportunity here." I mean, you only get one shot at putting yourself yeah. in the right place, right? How did it's you? A great, it's it's a great question. I had to weigh that, that. I had to weigh that, you know, with with my wife and saying, "Okay, we're going in." You know, you can't be in and out on this job. You're either in or you're out. Like, there's and and, and the thing that I felt comfortable about. About it was when I came down here even more so when I took the job it's like you're in a hockey bubble so you know we had guys like Daryl Plandowski come down um, that's a hockey guy you know Ryan Jankowski is a hockey guy you know have all your scouts in here Scott Walker he's a hockey guy and this is like a hockey bubble like you, your hotel is pretty much on top of the rink <laughs> and, right, there's fi- right. and there's 50 places to eat you know within you know 15 seconds of leaving the rink so it's it's like you're just surrounded by hockey when you're down here even though you're in the desert it's just a great it's like the hockey bubble and you just get to work and you you get in the little cave downstairs and you go to work with hockey people and and it's just for me once everybody got down here and you got everybody to see what it was like and they got to meet the ownership group and the executives and everything that you know they leave really excited about this franchise and that's the most important thing is when the people that work with you are excited about where you're moving and they believe in in the ownership group that's an exciting part it's it is interesting like to me from the outside you look for indicators like okay you you take the job you know it's you're like okay but then you're able to get a guy like Daryl Plandowski right who's who like those drafts in Tampa are ridiculous like, yeah they're, they're like, good this, he's good Daryl Daryl could could pick where he's going I'm sure at some point if he couldn't already you know yeah. like what was the sales job to him you know and, and that's interesting right like so you're standing on the outside you're yeah. now GM and you're getting people to believe in the in the in, you know coming in, in the vision that you have, but but also 
Daryl's got a great owner in, in Tampa, you know, that he's worked for for a number of years. He yeah. knows how right. stable it is, you know, and um, I applaud him in wanting to kind of take that challenge and come on board with us. And and even the same thing with Ryan Janikowski. Uh, those guys just kind of jumped on board. And I think it had to do with they trusted me. I, I yeah. think that was a big a big part of it. And they had seen me in the field. They know how, how I am and they know my work ethic and, and how I treat people. So I think that's a part of getting people to come to the desert is, you know, I've been in hockey for a long time and I have a good reputation. Um, and so I think on that people, uh, you know, joined us because of that. So um, it's been, it's been good. I've been really excited about the, the, the personnel that we've added. Um, you've said, you know, culture has to change here. And, and we hear it all the time, you know, culture is a word used yeah. a lot. And, and it's almost one of those things you don't, until you feel it or see it, you know, it's, and I, it, the Blues are a good example. Like this was a team that seemed to have this mm-hmm. problem breaking mm-hmm. through, but all of a sudden you just, it felt different when you went to St. Louis or for me you yeah. know, to cover a series. You're like, oh, this is, this is a winning team. And like, for me, it turned when when the Blues beat the Blackhawks. Remember that one series? A few oh, I agree ago? with you. I'm, uh, yeah, and, and Troy Brower put it in the net. He missed it three times. It was like it was yep. in slow motion. It took a year That's to right. happen for him to put that puck in the net. But uh, <laughs> that was a big moment me, for the Blues. That that was right. that was getting over the hump for us because of the fact that we had faced championship teams uh, right. with L.A. We'd lost to in Chicago, continued to lose to. And that was a, a point where we were – I think as every franchise has to go to the point where you're really good and you get beat. And then, you yes. know, Tampa had it where they went through and got beat, they got swept, you know, then they get pissed off and come back and say, listen, we're, we're going to be dialed in. And the blues had the same thing. So we, we just, we just did it the other way where we went to dead last place and then said, okay, let's do it. It's never been done before. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, we, we went that route, but, but, but it's also, I think you have to, you always have to go through a little bit of adversity. Um, and you have to have to that. So when you talk about culture in the desert, yeah. you know, there's they've you know Rick Tonkett, you know, he's he's good at what he does as a coach, and you know they've made some steps. My thing is to make the final step. And the one thing that I've realized, everybody wants to come to the desert. Everybody's calling you. It's not a hard place to recruit to. It's a, it's a you know it's a beautiful place to live, but but my thing is nobody wants to bleed in the desert. You know, and, and that's and that's what we, we have to make sure that, you know, I get all these agents calling me and say, oh, don't trade my players. You know, I know he's, his name's been out there. Don't do that. You know, but they really like it there. You know, if you if you like it here, you got to bleed here. You got to be mm-hmm. committed to this team 100, 150 percent with your body language, how hard you play each shift, what you give to your teammates, how hard you train, how hard you encourage your other your other teammates to train. You've got to be dialed in. Um, in the desert if you want to play here because this is a great place it's a yeah. great place to come to win a championship and that's that's what we're those are the words that are coming out of our mouth uh, you know all the time and and we want people committed to that I think we've seen that especially right now with Vegas right like everybody like if, if teams if players are waiving their no trade it's like Vegas is the one team they're willing to go to or whatever because yeah. for, you know for very various reasons um so I don't think getting players is hard. Like you're right, it's it's okay, but we also have to do it without a lot of like scrutiny, right? Like there's not a ton right. of media scrutiny. Like how do you how do you take it from hey this is a place a destination for all the positive reasons to but we also have to do the hard things. Well, I I think you know the play, there's there's a different type of pressure, right? So if you play in Montreal, the media. 
yeah. uh, the fans. You know, you go to get your laundry, um, you go for dinner. You know, if you're not good, it's not a great place to <laughs> to live, right? <laughs> right? So there's a little bit of pressure to play, you know, and, and keep the standards high. You know, in the desert, you know, or in sometimes places that hockey's not the number one sport, maybe it's football or baseball or something else, you know, you can kind of hide. You can go to dinner after a bad loss and nobody knows who you are and have a great time. So there's different pressures that you have to create and the standards that you have to keep as an organization. So, um, you know, those are the things that we constantly work on to make sure that we form our own internal pressure on the players through your leadership group and all the little things that you do. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, all right, a couple things before we wrap up. I do want to get, like you mentioned, you've basically done every job in, you know, in a hockey organization. Yeah. So at some point you had to make a conscious decision from coaching to management. What, mm-hmm. you know, what went into that? Because you were coaching um, right away, right? Like that was. Yeah, I, I was coach. I think I was head coach in the American League, which is unusual, but I was a head coach, I think maybe at 30, 31. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the players that I was coaching, I played with. Um right. So I was really young um, to, to be a head coach, um, but but for me it was like it was like going to law school. Like you go to law school for four years, you get your degree. I kind of got my coaching degree, <laughs> you right, know, right. Um, and it helps me understand the way coaches think. It helps me understand uh, to put them at ease or or to open their eyes. And you know, as a coach, you know, sometimes you you can only see what's in front of you. It's a day to day thing. Uh, in management, you kind of see a bigger, broader perspective of, of the potential. You know, this is what. So that's that's what you're trying to do. But I think all those steps that you take, uh, you know, even like it's we were talking. I was telling someone the other day. It was like you you get in these situations where I was running these three and three leagues, you know, and I would have these these massive kids. Like it was like 590 kids would come in and play in my league on a Sunday. And you had to manage all these people and you had to manage the referees, the Zamboni driver, the ice was melting. It was the middle of summer. (laughs) You had to find a way to pull (laughs) off the league and you had, you know, 50 employees come in on one day and work for you. And, you know, you, you wondered, you know, here I am in the middle of a West Wark, Rhode Island rink in the middle of July running this thing, you know. And you're running like, why? I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm like, like, what what am I doing? You know? and all these things, these steps that you go through, what I was doing was learning how to manage people and motivate mm. people to do their job better and be very efficient at getting everybody in places and getting them to do their job um, and, and prioritize. And, and you didn't realize that at the time, it was at a smaller level, but if you can do it there, it's it's almost the same, just you're doing it at the NHL level of running your entire staff. Um, so I think all the things that I've gone through, and I've even sold tickets in the summer uh, for an organization. <laughs> so. Um, it's great experience to go through and, and, you know, I, I did a small speech for our organization yesterday about, you know, what, what, you know, they're selling tickets. It's hard right now. It's hard. Like it's, it's a hard job to do. So, 
Yeah. Yeah, because we, we don't know what is, you can't even, you don't know what it's going to look like. I, yeah. I think it's the impossible job to do right now. It's impossible. How do you sell tickets? Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's um, but I think but all those th- little things that I've done in in, in my past have helped me uh, move into this job and feel comfortable in this job. I think, and this will be the last time we get into it. I think. Um, you might have taken the hardest GM position in my perspective. <laughs> like for any number of reasons, from no yeah. draft picks to it's capped out to who knows with the owner. And 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 you said like I like challenges. You've you've mm-hmm. made that you know clear. Like and your your actions back it up by your willingness to take the job. What what in your past? Like do you have a challenge that you you know you looked at and you're like okay that was that was something that I really that helped shape me or that yeah. challenge is what got me where I am now? Some of my, I think some of my failures, um, have made me stronger. Um, and so, you know, and they've helped me. I, I know when I went into coach in the East coast, like they, um, I was a one man band and right. I, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to throw ideas off. I didn't have anybody around me that could get stuff done. Um, it was like you're paralyzed and it was the hardest job because you dealt with immigration, housing, trades, like coaching, practice, scheduling, like it, it, it was impossible. And the one thing that I learned about that job is I need good people around me. Uh, that's, that's the one thing is I need, I need smart people around me. So when I went to work in, in St. Louis, you know, the one thing that I learned through that, that whole experience and, and going from there into St. Louis was Doug was really good. Doug Armstrong was really good at putting great people around him to give him different ideas and give him different angles to see different things. Um, and I and I loved that collaborative effort where honesty, you know, you was was very good in the room. Not everybody gave the same answer. Not everybody fell in line. People came and said what they wanted to. Um, and that's one thing that I loved about being in St. Louis is, you know, you you had to be able to show up and bring your A game. Because at times you had Marty Berdur, Larry Robinson, Dave Taylor, Al McGinnis, Keith Kachuk, <laughs> like you know, Dave. You know, you had Larry Plow was a former GM. Yeah. Peter Shirley was even in the room at time. I mean, you had to show up and bring your A game when you're speaking and you're you know talking about a certain theory about what you believed in, and and I love that. But I believe in having good people around. So I think some some sometimes when you fail in life, um, that's been my best learning process is to go back and look at it and say, hey, listen, this. This is the reason you did. You need to have this around you and then implement implement it. So when I came into this job, I, I needed the Scott Walkers of, of the world. I needed the Ryan Jankowskis, the Daryl Plandowskis, you know, all these people uh, around you uh, that are that are hockey people that can get you to see things through different eyes. I feel like you could get Keith Kachuk to go back to Arizona, couldn't you? Bring no, the Big Walt's the man. I mean, I, I funny story. People used to come up and he used to say, "This is my boss," and I and then I would say, "Nobody, he doesn't work nobody. for me. I, nobody can manage Keith Kachuk. I actually work for him." Um, but, but yeah, Walt's a man. He's he's a good he's a good man. He's uh, you know he's he's actually a really gifted scout. Um, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for what he does. I remember once he, he, when he was scouting. I, I texted him, you know, you, you like to get the input of scouts and mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I, I rely, like people are so much smarter than I in that. So I texted him something and his response was like, I don't effing care. And I'm like, okay, I guess he's not going to be a scout. I'm going to be getting a lot of insight. Yeah. <laughs> he's not going to engage in that, in that conversation. Ah, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's, I think, you know, he's an interesting guy because he's got two kids that play in the NHL. He still scouts. 
you know, and his daughter's really yeah. good at field hockey too. So he's he's, he's also a great dad. Um, he's he's a great person. Um, I've I didn't know him going in there, um, yeah. but but we've had some some great conversations. You know, and he's he's a master uh, in the room of of putting down everybody else's players and building up his and doing it in a great way. <laughs> Doing That's it in a great, great way, and and the guys that would come into the room for scouting with Walt, they'd be like, "Oh, I'm such a big fan of yours, you know, so so glad to work with you." Like an hour into the meeting, I'm like, "How do you feel about him now?" After he insulted <laughs> every one of your players, you know. But yeah, he's oh my gosh, a gifted he's scout. He's a great hockey person. Is he a good scout? I would have no idea. He is. He's a good scout. He is a really good scout. Um, sometimes guys don't translate when you're a superstar in the NHL, and then you come into right, work. That's what I would. Yeah. He's got great eyes. He's he sees the game, and and he's had kids that go through it. I think that helps you too. I think that makes you better when your kids mm-hmm. go through the process too. Um, but he's yeah, he is one of the top end guys, top end scout for sure. Awesome. Well, Bill, you got a ton going on, so I I appreciate you carving out this time. This was a really fun conversation. Yeah, it, it's been great. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I wish you guys the best. And let's uh, let's touch base in the future. All right, sounds good. Thanks All right. a lot. Thank you very much. Bye. I want to thank Bill Armstrong for joining the podcast. That was a great conversation. I love um, nerding out about scouting, and I, I hope I hope we get too in the weeds there because I I just like philosophy. And anytime you can you get that kind of time with somebody who has a track record of success like Bill does, um, it's uh, it's it's really cool to learn from that. I'd never even heard the concept of the two years versus ten year scout experience. Maybe that's common in scouting, but. I love that stuff. And so, Bill, thank you so much for uh, for the time. Again, that was that was fantastic. Uh, before we wrap up, we, the podcast lineup this week at The Athletic in the hockey space is ridiculous. Um, Jeremy Rutherford had Alex Petrangelo on, only the biggest name right now in free agency. Uh, and he did a little bit of a goodbye to Blues fans. I would encourage you to check that out. Mike Russo had Cam Talbot on. Cam, who is actually, we did that bonus episode with Cam when he was trying to save the hockey program in Alabama. Cam is awesome. Check that out. Um, we got Scott and Pierre on Two Man Advantage talking about all the crazy moves going on. Taylor Hall's surprising deal with the Sabres. Petrangelo to the Golden Knights. So much going on. Um, I, I would definitely check that out. We've got podcasts from uh, on the Canucks on the Leafs so much great stuff so if you are a fan of hockey podcasts I would hope you enjoy that and if you want to listen to these podcasts if you're listening on Apple or Spotify and you want to listen po- uh, ad free make sure you're subscribing to The Athletic you can get you can get a cheaper subscription if you go to theathletic.com slash full 60 listeners get a discount there you can listen to all these podcasts ad free on our app you can, you can get all the great hockey content that's being provided right now. So much good stuff with the, with the draft uh, wrapped up and free agency and all the trades that are happening and still to come, I promise. Um, so go to theathletic.com slash full60. And as always, if you can review and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, that helps me a ton, and I appreciate it. Thanks again to Bill for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening, and have a great week.